Hello and welcome to the Forward Firefighter Podcast. Here you can listen in on discussions with volunteer firefighters in Wisconsin and across the nation. Hear their stories, learn about the communities they serve, and what it takes to be a volunteer firefighter. Dan here from the Forward Firefighter Podcast. Welcome to episode number eight. In this episode, I invite Tom Merrill as a guest to discuss just what a professional volunteer fire department is and what it means to be a professional volunteer firefighter. Career or volunteer, we are providing a public service doing a job that can kill you. We need to take this work seriously, career or volunteer because the communities we serve deserve our very best. Tom is a 39-year fire department veteran and serves with the Snyder Fire Department located in Amherst, New York, a suburb of Buffalo. He currently serves as a firefighter, but previously served the department in the officer ranks for 26 years, including 15 years in the chief officer ranks and five years as the chief. He also serves as a fire commissioner for the Snyder Fire District. Tom offers professional development programs for volunteer firefighters. He has instructed at FDIC and performed different presentations across the country. He writes articles for fire engineering and he also has his own podcast. After this episode, do me a favor and go to www.theforwardfirefighter.com. Tell me how you think I'm doing Give me information on any upcoming podcast you think I should do, and please take a look at the show notes. Now, on with the show. Hi, this is Dan from the Forward Firefighter Podcast, and today I am very pleased to have a guest on the show. It's the first guest that I'm having on my show that is outside of the state of Wisconsin, and that is Tom Merrill. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. All right. So uh, very excited to have you on here. And uh, what I wanted to explain is how did I come across your name? So uh, I'm an avid podcaster. I listen to podcasts as often as I can when I'm in the car. And I'm always trying to find how can I get the latest uh, tips and tricks of the trade for not just my, my career that I'm in in IT, but also for firefighting and uh, how I can give back and better serve my community as a volunteer firefighter. And I ran across uh, you in one of the fire engineering podcasts. I believe you were just talking about how the FDIC conference was going. And um, uh, that's how I came across your name. And I loved how you were kind of focusing on some of the volunteer side of things. And I, I decided to look you up. And I sent you a message and you actually responded to me. So <laughs> thank you for, for doing that. And thank you for uh, being willing to be on the show. So, oh, Absolutely. I always respond to people when they reach out to me. It's, uh, you know, we're all in this together, brother. Uh, so to kick things off here a little bit, uh, why don't you just tell me about yourself a little bit, uh, you know, how you got into the fire service and your history there and like what your current role and position is right now. Sure. So... The year was 19, it pains me to say this, I guess I should be proud of it, I am proud of it, the year was 1982, and I was in college, and I was working at a local supermarket, 
And I tell the story all the time in my presentation that standing next to me was this kid that I had gotten to know working at the supermarket. And I asked him what he was wearing on his belt. He had an original Minuter alerting radio hanging on his belt. And he said to me, oh, that's my fire radio. I'm a volunteer firefighter. Did you ever think about joining the volunteer fire department? And that's what did it. You know, and you hear those stories all the time about we can throw a lot of time, money, and resources at recruitment, and a lot of times all it takes is a simple invitation, and that's what it thats what it took for me 40 years ago. I, I had always liked the fire service. I grew up watching Emergency. Um, I love those kind of shows, so it didn't take a lot of convincing. I was looking for stuff to do. A lot of my friends had gone away to college, and I stayed local. So we rolled out the invitation to me. You want to join the local volunteer fire department, the Snyder Fire Department. And I stepped foot in there in November of 1982. And Snyder is in in the town of Amherst, New York, uh, just outside of Buffalo. And um, I've had quite a ride, and I'm still riding on the rigs. Um, I went through the officer ranks. Uh, lieutenant, captain, assistant chief, and chief. I spent my first, well, it took a few years to get some training to get into those offices, but then I spent 27 straight years in the officer ranks, uh, about 10 or 11 as a captain and one as a lieutenant, and then 15 as a chief officer. In my department, uh, we have term limits. You get elected every year, that uh, dreaded and often talked about volunteer fire service election. Uh, We get elected every year, and uh, as long as you're doing the job, since 1982, all of our chiefs have gone to maximum five years. We term out after five. We find there's good reason for that. And uh, so I did five as a second assistant chief, five as a first assistant chief, and then five as the chief of department. And um, that was a great ride. Loved every minute of it. Um, And then when I got out, I took a couple of years uh, off from the officer ranks anyway. And then I uh, ran for and got elected to the position of fire commissioner in our area. We have five fire commissioners that oversee the department. We kind of are like a school board. We set the tax rate. The town collects the taxes. They have no say in it. We set it. We collect the money from the town. And then the chief comes to us and puts his requests in. Every month we have a meeting. And then we budget for also taking care of the fire department itself, the headquarters. And I've been a fire commissioner now. I'm in my second five-year term. And it's a different side of the business. And um, I blinked and 40 years went by. It really has been that fast. Wow. But I, I look forward to serving many, many more years, both as a commissioner and as a frontline firefighter, which I still am today. Well, was it quite an adjustment to go from, uh, you know, a, being a chief position to <laughs> riding the back seat of a rig? You know, it really is. As a matter of fact, I just finished a presentation at the New York State Chiefs Conference, which was last week, a great conference here in New York State. Um, I just uh, finished doing a presentation I put together a couple of years ago. I've done it a few times now, and I call it the role of the past chief, redefining the mission, because you really have to redefine your mission. And as I travel the country and talk to people that were fire chiefs, I find out just what a tough transition it can be for many people. And 
it's tough in two ways. It can be tough on the fire chief and it can be tough on the department as well. And there's things that I think that I found that can be done to help redefine the mission. So it's a good question. And and I'd say most former fire chiefs will say yes to that. It's unless you pack up your bags and move to the other side of the country, you know, and move to that retirement home or down south to sunny Florida, wherever, um, it's a tough adjustment. But there's things you can do, and that's a subject for someday maybe we could talk about. There's things that can be done to uh, make the transition go uh, a little bit smoother. Okay. So being close to Buffalo, are you a Buffalo Bills fan? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have four daughters, and one of my daughters actually works for the Buffalo Bills. So uh, I've been a really? Bills fan since you know as far back as I can remember, and my heart is ripped in the shreds from – Many years of disappointment and losses, but next year's always the year. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I understand that as well. Uh, you're talking to uh, Packer country right now, so. <laughs> At least you've won the Super Bowl, and uh, we've never experienced that that euphoria. So one of the things that uh, you've done recently is uh, you taught down at FDIC. So tell me a little bit about that and uh, the, you know, how you kind of got into uh, teaching at FDIC and then about the, the presentation that you gave this last year. Sure. You know, it's funny because part of my transition from chief to firefighter and part of me redefining my mission had me looking for things to do. And that kind of led to FDIC. It led to me being a writer for fire engineering and um, doing articles. So yeah, definitely. I've actually been teaching now at FDIC for about 10 years. And if I could just back up for a second. So I was the chief of department from 2007 to 2012. So I got out of office in April of 2012 and immediately was, what am I going to do now? And um, I ended up writing um, right away. My first article got published uh, towards the end of 2012. And that led to a, a series of articles, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department, which was then, I got a phone call one day from Chief Bobby Halton, an incredible mentor of mine. I could call him a friend of mine. He definitely became a very close friend of mine who was always there for me. And I was just devastated that we lost him back in December. But he called me one day to say, why don't you put a presentation together based on your articles? And I'm like, what? For FDIC? Are you kidding me? So back up just a little bit. I get out as chief. I'm struggling to find my way. And one thing the department did for me is they flew in Chief John Salka to be an honorary guest at my outgoing installation banquet. And that was a surprise to me. I didn't know they were doing it. And um, Chief Salka had been, I, I've always admired his teaching and his articles and his great information that he passes on. So when I was chief, I was always quoting Chief Salka. I was always putting articles up that were written by Chief Salka. My firefighters and officers were always like, yeah, Chief, we know. Chief Salka says this. Chief Salka says that. So they thought it would be a good idea to surprise me at my outgoing banquet when I got out as chief to bring him in as a special guest. And they did that. And he also has become an incredible awesome. friend and mentor of mine. It really was. It was a touching moment. And Chief Salka saw me just speak for a couple mm -hmm. minutes at my outgoing installation. I, I, I gave an outgoing speech. It only lasted a few minutes because it was about the new chief coming in. And when I sat down, I'll never forget, he looked over at me at one point 
afterwards and said, you know, you should think about teaching because I can see you don't mind getting up in front of a group and, and, and presenting for based on how you just conducted yourself at the podium. And I'm thinking, what am I going to teach about? Well, at the same time this was going on, like at the exact same time, within a few months of that, Chief Bobby Halton rolls into Buffalo, New York. His wife's from Buffalo, so he would come to Buffalo every now and then. And we got to know him at FDIC. I had been going to FDIC for years. And for anyone that knows or knew Chief Halton, he never forgot a face. Always had this uncanny ability to remember faces. And he would remember me and my group of firefighters as the Buffalo contingent. So he'd always come up and talk to us. So he comes into Buffalo again, 2012, and it's for the funeral of his father-in-law who passed away. And I happened to be at work one day and I read that there was going to be a wake for Chief Halton's father-in-law. I just happened to catch that obituary. Came home and said to my wife, I think I'm going to go to this wake and pay my respects. Do you think Chief Halton would be mad? And my wife's like, Tom, who would be mad for going to a wake? No, go. So Mm -hmm. I went to the wake fully Exactly. I went to the wake fully expecting stop in, have to reintroduce myself to Chief Halton, maybe spend a minute or two with them and pay my respects and leave. I walk in, Chief Halton immediately recognized me, pulls me to the corner, and for the next hour, maybe even two hours, we sat and talked about the fire service. So this is just a couple months after Chief Salka said, you should think about presenting and writing articles. Bobby Halton said to me, do you ever think about writing some articles? And this is the second time I'm hearing it. So I'm like, what am I going to write about? I appreciate the Mm -hmm. encouragement, but what am I going to be writing about? So I thought about it for a while, and I started thinking to myself how um, when people call for help, they don't say send the paid fire department or send the volunteer fire department. They say send help. And I came up with this concept of the professional volunteer fire department, and that's when I started writing my articles. And I wrote one article, and I had an idea for a second article. I had an idea for a third article. And before you knew it, I wrote 35 I'm up to over 40 parts now to this ongoing series for fire engineering, the professional volunteer fire department. And Chief Halton then called me one day and said, why don't you put a podcast together focusing on the volunteer fire service in the professional volunteer fire department? And then he followed up with, why don't you put a presentation together for FDIC? And that's what got me teaching at FDIC. And like I said, it's been about 10 years now. And the main point of my presentation and it continues to be this way, is that I try to get the word out that developing and displaying and maintaining a professional image and professional reputation are the duty and responsibility of all firefighters, paid or volunteer. And I have had people suggest to me, hey, Tom, why don't you take the word volunteer out of that and just call it the professional fire department or the professional firefighter? And I won't do that because I don't want to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I've been a volunteer firefighter for 40 years. I'm not in the paid service. The volunteer service is all I know. It's all I've been a part of. And I don't want to ever sell out that I'm somebody that I'm not. So that's why I won't take the word volunteer out of that. So that's where the idea came from. And that's how it all kind of came together. And that's kind of what led me into getting the FDIC. And so I've been very fortunate to not just deliver this presentation at FDIC, but I've gone as far west as Arizona. I've been south to Florida and Dallas. I've been as far east as uh, 
Long Island and even up to the northern shores of Michigan. Maybe someday I'll make it into Wisconsin. I haven't been there yet. So that'd be uh, wonderful. But I've been able to take this message and it's a message I'm really passionate about. Um, you know, and uh, I, I just really like to get the message out there that yes, there's paid and career firefighters, but there's volunteer firefighters and both sides can be professional. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we are living in a different world today and, uh, we need to, as I say, it's 2023, our residents are owed professional service delivered by professional firefighters representing professional organizations. And, and that's my message. And from one presentation, I've now gone off into about 12 other presentations that are spinoffs of it, focusing on customer service, focusing on officer development, focusing on the role of the past chief, um, focusing on fire service history and why it's important to know. So I've broken off into all these different presentations and continue to expand my offerings because I'm so passionate about it. That is awesome. So I guess in your def, def, in your definition to sum it up, what really is you know that the the professional volunteer fire department? What are some characteristics that make that up? It's funny. I have actually a, an, another phone call and offer I received from the late great Chief Halton was to do a book based on this. So it started as articles, led to a podcast, led to presentations, and finishing up in a book. And uh, the book will be released. Any month now, we are hoping to have it out for FDIC, but it just didn't make it. Um, And we're going to focus on that exact subject. As I just said, our residents are owed professional service delivered by Mm -hmm. professional firefighters representing professional organizations. So as you just said, there's two things there. You personally as a firefighter and organizationally as a member of a department, both sides need to strive to be professional. Now, I think it's safe to assume that people want to receive a professional level of service and be treated in a professional manner when they are seeking assistance, when they are seeking help. We expect it from the police department. We expect it of somebody servicing your car. If you're having home repair work done, right? You want a professional electrician, a professional plumber, a professional home repair person professionalism is simply a desired trait that we want from the workforce that surrounds us. A professional firefighter can be found in a small department as well as in a large department. And that's one thing I really like to harp on. Professional has nothing to do with the size of your department. It has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with how many runs you go on or how many members you have. And a professional department can have a very robust budget or it can have a limited budget. It doesn't matter at all. And it really doesn't matter if those are earning a paycheck or if those in the firehouse are earning a paycheck or not. Professional means professional. And what it means is we're acting, we're training, and we're performing like a true professional. Because when our residents call for help, they're not questioning whether it's someone earning a paycheck or not. They don't care if those showing up are earning that check or not. There's no 912 either. And know what? My mm-hmm. paid job, by the way, my paid job is as a fire dispatcher. I'm an alarm office dispatcher. In my area, we have separate dispatch for fire and EMS 
separate from police. And you know, I've been doing it 30 years and I've never once taken a phone call from someone saying my house is on fire or my loved one is having a medical emergency, send the paid firefighters or send the volunteer firefighters. (laughs) There's no 912. There's no menu to go through and select paid or volunteer, right? So, you know, they want a professional level of service. That's what we would expect. In much the same way, organizationally, when a member steps forward and joins a volunteer fire department, they're looking to be part of a professionally run organization. They want to be accepted in, by the membership, a membership that treats them with respect, cares for their welfare, a membership that's interested in developing them into a productive and competent member, a membership that understands it's 2023. We need to understand the limit of good organizational behavior. So there's two sides to it. There's the professional firefighter as well as the professional volunteer fire department. That's what I talk about. Cool. And I've had it too where, you know, calls have come in and then you'll be talking to uh, the people that that call 911 and uh, they'll ask questions like, so, you know, what what shift are you guys on? And we're like, well, we're we're volunteer. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you came from your house? Yep. Yes, we did. Yep. And you know, Dan, I'll tell you what, one of the best compliments is, and it's kind of an underhanded compliment. People don't even know that they're complimenting us. But when they find out you're a volunteer and they look at the job you just did, whether it's at a medical call or at a fire, and they look at you and say, you're all volunteer? And you, and mm-hmm. that's, there's no better compliment than that, is there? Right, right. Definitely. Some of the differences between, you know, career and, and volunteer departments, um, sometimes it's just uh, just an idea that people have in their heads, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got examples of how that can be on the negative side on both sides, right? A little bit of a story to share with you uh, recently after I joined the fire service. So I joined the fire service in 2001, right before 9-11 happened. Uh, so I went through my entry level. I think it was like the spring before 9-11. And a couple years later, I was looking to, you know, challenge myself in something. And I was into physical fitness and those types of things. And uh, I actually competed in the firefighter combat challenge. Wow. wow. Okay. And uh, the firefighter combat challenge around that time, I guess it's around 2003 to 2006, somewhere in that time frame is when I did it. And they would travel around the country and go to different places. And they came to Rockford, Illinois, which is only, you know, an uh, hour and a half or something like that from where I live. And they came to Janesville, Wisconsin. And the very first time that I did it was in Janesville, Wisconsin. And I kind of got down there and I see all these these guys who are way stronger than I am. <laughs> and we're all in line, ready to register and uh, get our number for when we compete. And I'll never forget this. Uh, I felt like, like like a toothpick in line. And the guy in front of me turns around and he's like, are you signing up for this? <laughs> and I said, I am. And and he said that he was a, a, a career uh, firefighter for one of the bigger cities here in Wisconsin. And then he asked about me and where I was. And I said, well, I'm a, a volunteer firefighter. And he's like, oh, they let you guys do these things? <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, really? And uh, then he was kind of asking me about what kind of time I was shooting for. And I said, you know, I just want to finish. This is my first time doing this. And uh, he told me what time he was shooting for. And it was like a number that I 
seemed really good. I'm like, man, he must have done this before. Well, I found out afterwards, no, he did not do this before. And he actually ran right in front of me and he took off and he just went crazy through the course, right? He went up the stairs, he came down the stairs and he got to the point where you do the the Kaiser where it's the roof simulation Mm -hmm. and he got chop one, chop two, chop three. And he just keeled over. Wow. <laughs> he was he was super strong, but he wasn't prepared for, you know, that that event and, and that'll take it out of you. And um I finished. I didn't have a, a stellar time, but I finished. And uh, that was just one of the one of the instances where I felt firsthand, I guess, where I kind of looked was looked down upon for being a volunteer. Right. But uh, I know that that's not everybody's view. And uh, I, I know a lot of career guys and, and a lot of them got their beginnings in a volunteer department, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, on the we, flip side, we do, oh, we fight that stigma sometimes. Um, I tell yeah. the story all the time when I joined my volunteer department, um, one of the very first things somebody said to me, and it was in that supermarket I was working at when, when my friend asked me to join when I did get in there, I had a customer actually say to me, oh, you joined the fire department. Are you one of those beer drinking volleys? You know, <laughs> it's one of the first things somebody said to me. And that was, you know, it was an unfair image because as I got into the fire service, I realized there's some really great professionals in the volunteer mm-hmm. fire service. So I thought that was unfair. And a couple other comments. Someone actually said to me once, well, you guys aren't, you guys and gals aren't the real firefighters, right? You just support the real firefighters. They go in and put the fire out and you just kind of wow. back them up, right? And I'm like, wow, you know? So, you know, there are some stigmas out there. And, and, and one thing I say over and over and over again, I get so upset when people say I'm just a volunteer. That mm-hmm. should never be used as an excuse for anything. Right. Be proud that you're a volunteer. Yes, you are a volunteer. You're not just a volunteer. You know what that means, being a volunteer firefighter? You know, you are juggling family and jobs and what other other obligations you have in your life to just take care of your little community. There's a lot said for that. So you're not just a volunteer. When you say that, you cheapen the badge that you should be wearing so proudly. I agree. Yeah, I've heard that before too. Well, we're just we're just volunteers, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, you know, I've heard it stated before too, where departments are trying to be a little bit more aggressive in their training and, and things like that, and um, kind of going on with how there's there's more standards we need to meet today than you know departments did and mm-hmm. volunteers did maybe you know twenty to forty years ago, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I've heard the statement that says, well, the department's trying to make us a career department. They're not realizing we're volunteers. And, you know, that that's tough, too, because we need to make sure that we are on our A game so that, like you said, when we show up, they don't care if we're career or not. Right. We need to provide the same service. Right. You know, you are volunteering for something that could kill you. This isn't scouts. You know, it's not the PTA, although I joke my wife was the PTA, PTA president and <laughs> there, there were some rough times there, but no, but no, you are, this is a very serious business and you've got to be on your A game. And as volunteers, you know, you can get killed just, the fire doesn't care if you're a volunteer or paid, we said that, and it'll kill just, you just the same if you're a career mm-hmm. or a volunteer. This is a dangerous business. It's a business that requires us to be ready, to be sharp, to be prepared, and that comes with training. 
and there should be no excuse for not training. I have these moments in my presentation. I call them the dysfunctional moments. And one of the biggest dysfunctional moments in the volunteer fire house occurs with limiting or lowering training standards based on your time in. You know, you've been in 10 years, you don't have to go to as many drills now. You've been in 20 years, you don't have to go to as many drills. I don't think that that doesn't wash it with me. Yes, maybe you can do more advanced drills, but there's no reason that you should not be going to training as often as possible, whether you've been in five years, five months, or 15, 20, or in my case, 40 years. You should still be at that training drill. And oh, by the way, another dysfunctional moment is not having enough drills, not setting that expectation the minute somebody joins it. We train regularly and they have prepared drills ready regularly and kind of encouraging and motivating and leading by example, senior men and women being on that training ground for the majority of your training drills. Totally agree. Talking about training and you know, it can be a struggle. Like you said, we've got all these different priorities in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what are some things that you can say to members that are struggling to make some of those training requirements? I mean, between your 40-hour full-time job, uh, your your family and work life and commitments, it, it can be a challenging. So um, it's hard to get people on the department to, to commit to those things. Right. But at the same time, if you're not committed to those things, you could be, you know, in, in a world of hurt when time calls and you can't perform. Right. Well, so. you set the expectation from the minute somebody joins, you make them aware of just, again, how important training is and why it's important to be on the training ground. And again, it's not a dictatorship. You're going to understand family obligations. You're going to understand career but let's face it, there's ways to arrange schedules to be at the training drill. Um, sometimes it's very easy to just say, I can't be there without trying to make the arrangements to be there. So um, short of uh, family obligation, short of the job taking you out of town or a deadline that you have to meet the next day. Um, and those things happen. And we have to understand that. But there's no reason that training can't be being held on a regular basis, and that the member can't be making the majority of training drills. Um, let's look at the organization, too. The organization owes it to their members to have drills on a regular basis, not have, you know, well, we'll do one in a couple of weeks, and then we'll do another one in a couple of weeks after that, have a re regular training schedule so people can know when to expect the training drills. My department has been every Wednesday night since the 1950s. That's what's worked for us. Some departments mm -hmm. like to do it Monday one week and a Thursday the next to catch people that are available. Whatever works for you. We run a day drill twice a month as well to catch the people that work the night shift. So there's things that the department has to do to be flexible to meet their members' needs. The department also needs to make sure that those running the drills have organized drills put together and that they're not wasting their members time. A volunteer's most precious commodity is time. And when they get to the firehouse, they expect a well-organized drill ready to go. Not a bunch of people standing around saying, what do you want to do tonight? Or worse, putting the props together. Or worse, getting that PowerPoint fired up and realizing, hey, there's AV and audio issues that could have been planned for or checked earlier in the evening or even the day before to make sure when people get there that things are ready to roll. Because the next time, 
they may choose to do something else rather than go to that training drill. So it's twofold here. Again, the professional firefighter knows it's important to be at the training drill. The professional fire department understands that it has to put drills together that are regular, they're organized, they're pertinent to what we're doing, and ready to go on time. There's also things the department can do to, to, to limit the requirements for their members. You know, you talk about recruitment, let's talk retention for a minute. You know, what are we mandating that our members do? There's nothing more important than training and going to calls. So why are we holding them responsible to go to so many meetings a year? You know, if you got to choose between going to a training drill or going to a meeting, I'd rather have the member go to the training drill. Right. You know, it's unfortunate that we have to spend so much time fundraising in the volunteer fire service. The great Billy Goldfeder says it all the time. You know, the cops don't have to fundraise for a police car. The DPW doesn't host a chicken barbecue for a new salt truck. Right. <laughs> For you Southern people, that's what we put on the roads in the winter to kind of help the snow melt. <laughs> but, right. But I mean, it, yeah, we're, you know, the days of hosting chicken barbecues and bingo and pancake breakfast to buy a fire truck should be over. And, and we need to make our, our communities understand that we, we just don't have the people to volunteer, number one. And if they are volunteering, we want them training. And going to calls more than I want them worried about putting a pancake breakfast together. Now, there's some long-standing great traditions. And if we want to do it for a little extra money for some fun stuff, we we can do great. But it shouldn't be the primary source of revenue. And it shouldn't be the primary focus of our members when we're talking mm-hmm. about trying to encourage them to go to a training drill. And as a professional firefighter, understand there's still other things you can do if you're going to miss that training drill. Okay, I'm out of town for work. Well, while you're on the airplane, read one of the fire publications. While you're in your hotel, watch some of the great training videos that are out there. Read and subscribe to the publications and educate yourself every single day about this fire service. So, yeah, you might not be back home in the firehouse with the crew training that night, but you're still staying on top of what's going on in the fire service. So those are just a few things you can do, both organizationally and personally, to become a better trained firefighter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Especially now there's, there's so much information out there to, to catch yourself up to speed on things, you know, mm-hmm. you could suppose you could argue with some of the platforms on TikTok and, you know, Instagram and things like that, that um, you, you could say, you know, is this valid or not, but I find a lot of good stuff. And even if it's something where, you know, it might be something where someone says, well, I don't know if that's a good tactic you got something to try it out. And I would rather have arguments over what the best tactic is on something uh, versus, you know, where do you get the best price for the brat stand buns? <laughs> <laughs> you know, with that, what I'd like to say, and, and I'd really like to encourage our younger members um, to get out and go to as much training as possible when you can get to it. Uh, there's a lot of great local county, state, and yes, of course, national conferences, if you can get to any of them, I encourage you to do so. There, There's no doubt you can learn a lot online, but it's not all on YouTube. Yes, use YouTube and use those training sites to supplement your training, but as often as possible, you know, if there's a local, a county uh, conference coming around your area or within a couple hours, I encourage you, please go to it. Get to meet like-minded people. 
get to hear from some of the experts that are out there, get to mingle and network with so many great fire service um, people because they'll become your friends too. And you'll have these friends for life and you'll learn so much from each other. I, every time, every time I travel a lot, several times a year, sometimes several times a month doing conferences. And I learn as much from the average firefighters. Hopefully they're learning from me. They've experienced an issue I'm dealing with. I've experienced an issue they're dealing with and we're able to exchange information and there's nothing better than networking. So yes, use YouTube and the fire engineering training sites, training minutes and firehouse.com. All those are great. Listen to the podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. But also get out and meet people and network with them because that's a whole nother side to it. Say, I totally agree with you on the networking side too, because that's newer for me. Um, I've gone out to different trainings and things like that in the past, but recently in the last year or two, I kind of realized, you know, I've been very focused in on my department and, you know, when we do mutual aid calls and things like that, I don't know all these other guys, uh, these people that are showing up. And not only do I need to get to know those folks that are on the other departments that we mutual aid with, but, you know, a much larger circle than that, just to know all of the different knowledge that's out there. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been starting to go to some of the local Leatherhead um, uh, meetups and things like that. And I've been finding that very useful, mm-hmm. very, very good. So. Yep. Yeah, I call it getting out of your own bubble. Get out of your own yep. bubble. Yeah, it's not right. always easy. Again, you got family, you got job commitments. Understand, but you know, there's no reason here and there you can't get out to some of the other conferences. You know, you, you should you should want to learn as much as you can about this business. That's part of what a professional does. Uh, Jerry Wells is a great chief from down south. I met him. He was a chief, a battalion chief in Louisville, Texas, where Chief Rick Lasky was the chief of department. And we should all know who Chief Lasky is. If you don't, please Google his name. But he said once, it's know your why, you know, know why things are the way they are. It's not maybe going to make you sharper on the fire ground, but as a professional, it makes you just a little more well-versed in this profession of ours. So know your why, get out of your bubble, meet people and get out to these conferences and network. One of the ways that I kind of try to prioritize things um, being all the things going on in life, right, Mm -hmm. is I try to say, you know, faith, family, finance, fire department. And finance means that's your, uh, you know, 40 hour a week job that brings in the cash, right? Right. And if you get those things in line, uh, you know, things seem to fall in place, at least they have for me. But I won't, I will be lying if I say that's not a challenge to keep things in those orders. And sometimes they, those priorities bounce around a little bit based on what's going on. But is there really any room for anything else beside that? If you're talking to someone who says, well, I'm kind of interested in being a volunteer, but I don't know if I have time for that. Yeah. I guess I said earlier, time is a volunteer's most precious commodity. So, um, and it's probably one of the biggest obstacles to bringing new members in when they do express an interest and they sit down and talk to you about the requirements. That's why the requirements have to be reasonable. And that's why I think they, you know, the requirements need to be focused on taking care of the problem by going to emergency calls as well as training. Those should be our priorities. And like I said, even if you're busy, um, you should still be interested in the profession that you're volunteering for. You got to take it seriously, which means you're going to remain focused on it and learn and to get as good as you can at the craft. 
Um, and let's not forget that it also means you're acting as a professional in the way you treat people. So um, when somebody expresses interest, yeah, you you don't want to lie to them. You don't want to make it seem like it's going to be all hunky-dory. Um, but if you're showcasing that you're a professionally run organization and you have ways of helping them with their time, first of all, it's going to be well-managed when they do come to a training drill. They're going to get something out of it. And then for the mandatory training, especially those first few years, getting through firefighter one, hopefully your area now has hybrid models where they can do the hands-on, but then they can do a lot of the book learning online. And we're finding that's a great way to make the most of people's time. They can watch in the comfort of their house, or if they're on a trip for work, they can do it in the hotel room. They can do a lot of the reading and book work that way. So, um, it, it their time is the most precious commodity and it's the biggest challenge for getting new members in. So don't waste their time. Use it wisely. Another thing that I think, you know, we talked to some of our newer members too is uh, and the line of being a profession and, and how you act and what you do and what you say is people, people are looking at you. Then um, once they know you're on the fire department, you know, and you know, you got to be careful about the things you say, if you're going to post something online mm-hmm. on Facebook or things like that. And I think sometimes we need to always remind ourselves, you know, if is someone looking at me in the light of me as a person right now, or are they, am I representing the fire department in my actions right now? Right. And it's always something to keep in the back of your mind, I think. Absolutely. And if you're like the majority of volunteer firefighters, you love to advertise that you're a volunteer firefighter. You have the stickers on your car. Well, then Mm -hmm. why are you flipping somebody off if they might have cut you off, right? Um, We love to wear the T-shirts. Then why are you engaging in unethical or poor behavior while you're wearing the iconic Maltese cross? Sometimes being a professional means you have to look the other way. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard. And yeah, that person cut you off and you're mad about it. But you know what? That doesn't give you the right to flip them off because you're representing, you know, there's a sticker on your car. It probably identifies your department. So you're representing your department and giving them a black eye, that that department. You're also representing our fire service, and you're giving our fire service a black eye as well. And I have seen some really horrific T-shirts out there. It pains me that they sell them sometimes at the conferences. We're getting better. I think the word's getting out there about inappropriate T-shirts. But, you know, wear the right T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Have the Maltese cross on, it, cross on it. Make sure it's saying the right thing, giving the right message, not can't even say on a, a G-rated podcast or even a PG-rated podcast what some of these shirts have said over the years. And a true professional would never put those shirts on. So, you know, one of the big things is, you know, recruitment, retention. You talked a little about retention. Um, on the recruitment side of things, you know, what are, what are, is there any advice that you have out there for our volunteer fire departments in Wisconsin and the nation? Yeah, you know, it's obviously you can't go a day without hearing about the problems we're having everywhere, right? Uh, Recruiting and retaining members. I like to say, you know, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, those were great times in the fire service. Obviously, the 50s were the 40s. Great times, great people. They did incredible things with very limited resources. They built what we have today and accomplished so much. But those days are gone and they're never coming back. 
But it doesn't mean 2023 can't be as great. Doesn't mean that we still can't accomplish great things because we still have great people. That's the common denominator here. We all have great people, but sometimes we have to realize that those days are gone. They're not coming back, but we got to try new ideas Mm -hmm. to make today as great as those days of yesterday. Don't be afraid to try new ideas. You know, sometimes we talk, you know, about firefighters hate two things, right? Change in the way things are. That's what Alan Bernstein used to say all the time. Be open to new ideas. And when you're advertising, ditch the Titanic is sinking advertising mentality that people are going to die. Our department's going under. If you don't come and join us or we don't get help, things are bad. Because who wants to join a floundering ship? Sell Mm -hmm. the professional message. Treat people well. Interact with people well. Do a good job at the emergency scene and out at the community event that you may be at. Showcase that you're professional. Who wants to join an organization if they're treating them badly or acting like a bunch of buffoons, right? Mm -hmm. People are Mm -hmm. more inclined to join an organization when the people are a team and having fun and treating them respectfully. Let me give you one idea about a new idea that came in my department. And I'm one of the old guys, you know, uh, I'm, I'm 60 years old and I was the youngest commissioner up until December when we got a new commissioner in and she's only a couple of years younger than me, but we're the old men and women in the room and old people are the death of the fire service, right? We don't like change. And <laughs> so we had a R&R committee, like every department out there, right? And they came to us with a new idea and their idea was this, you know, for Since the 1940s, our department has operated on a percentage system. You have to make so many calls every month and make a certain percentage by the end of the year of all the calls. It's 25%. You have to make 25% of our yeah. calls, which is about 1,200 calls a year, roughly, that we respond to. Now, it does lower once you become a life member. However, let's just for, for conversation purposes, our members have to make 25% of calls and also training drills and things like that. Okay. So the recruitment committee came to us and said, we got a new idea. We've heard about this being done in other areas. We want to give it a try. Instead of having to make a percentage of calls, how about if we open a category of membership up that mandates they have to do so many hours a month at the firehouse? You can't, Mm. you don't know when the calls are going to come in. So if I'm away for work, or I'm coaching a little league team, or my wife has to travel for work and I can't go to calls for a two-week period. I miss all those calls and that's charged against me. What if I Mm -hmm. schedule times that I know I'm free and available and go staff the firehouse? If a call comes in, great. If not, I earn hours and I have to make so many hours a month and that's how I'm going to volunteer. So we rolled it out. It wasn't without some opposition at first, but I'm proud of the commissioners. We had to approve it. I'm proud of us for saying, and this was said at our meeting, what do we have to lose by trying? If it doesn't work, Mm -hmm. we'll change it or do away with it. You know how many members we've taken in? This this went live January 1st, 2022. 25 new members. 25 new members that are doing our hours program. Wow. How many members are on the department? We have about 86 right now. Oh, 80? Okay. So 60 or so are doing the percentage still, like myself, where I have to make a certain percentage. But we have mm-hmm. duty shift members that are coming and staffing the firehouse and giving us hours 
because it worked for them. It's worked for single parents that come and staff it when their kids are at school during the day. It's worked for parents whose spouse works an opposite shift. It's worked for members that don't live in our immediate area that still want to volunteer and come in and sit in the firehouse for six or eight hours. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's a great program. It's still under some tweaking in that, some modifying, but by and large, it's a program that's worked for us and brought in a substantial number of new recruits. The bottom line is, we said as commissioners, when the committee brought us this idea, what do we have to lose by trying something new? Right. The 70s were great. Those days are gone. Doesn't mean today can't be equally as great. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great, uh, great idea. And I'm glad to hear that it's really working out for you guys. And uh, boy, I'm really excited about seven that just started our department to have that many start. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully your onboarding processes and uh, probationary processes are all up to speed and working well. <laughs> We've had to buy a lot of new equipment. I can tell you that much. We've yeah, had to buy a lot oh, of new wow. gear. <laughs> uh, and they're okay. great kids. You know, and actually we've taken in all different um, generations. But here's my spiel too on the kids today. Because that's the other thing. I'm an old guy, right? I have four kids. So I can talk about kids. Uh, I know a little bit about them. But I'm so tired of hearing about the new generation. Yeah, the new generation may not know a Phillips head screwdriver from a flathead screwdriver, right? We had one that didn't know what a wall telephone was. That was pretty fun. <laughs> but you know what I say? How about when a boomer like myself gets a menu handed to me that I have to scan with my iPhone and I have no idea how to do it, right? <laughs> Who do I hand it to? The younger kid, right? right? Folks get to know these young people. They're great. They're smart. They do want to know why we do things a certain way. Know your why, right? You Mm -hmm. can teach them how to be a good firefighter. And if you're one of the young persons listening, listen to the senior people, but respect each other. Give respect to earn respect. You know, sometimes we eat our own in the volunteer firehouse. Sometimes we treat the public better than we do treat our own members. And that's a shame. Mm -hmm. We've got to respect each other. We've got to work together and uh, we've got to work together to, you know, who's going to bring in new young members, our young members, right? So why do we want to alienate them with the silent treatment or the be seen and not heard treatment? That worked with my generation, the boomer generation. It's not going to work with this new generation coming through the door. Mm-hmm. And, and just get to know them. They're great kids. And if you're one of those kids, like I said, listen to the senior members, and all of us together strive to be professional firefighters. Firehouse can be a really cool place because it really is a true family environment, right? With different age groups and things like that. And, and everybody learning from everybody is the key. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we're coming up on our, our time for the episode today. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time for me uh, out of your busy schedule, having you you chat about your experience on your volunteer fire department. And uh, it's a great message for all departments to have, really is. I hope to see you sometime here in Wisconsin. And if not, maybe maybe someday I'll be lucky enough to go to FDIC. I haven't been able to go yet, but uh, maybe I'll be able to get down there one of these years. I hope so. I hope so, because once you go once, you're going to be hooked and want to go every single year like I've been going for over well, I started going as a as a fire a young fire officer and uh, went all through my chief ranks and now I'm lucky enough hopefully to continue to go teach. I hope we'll be back there next year teaching. But even not, I'll still be there. Once you go once, 
you're going to be hooked. I guarantee you. There's no better experience in the world. So, All right. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. And folks, please remember, our residents are owed professional service delivered by professional firefighters representing professional organizations.